The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. I want to I get into the Word this morning. I'm really excited to do so. Uh, and I want to talk about something that is, is, should be familiar. It's a message that, that uh, is very dear to me. And so you probably hear a lot of repetition on the, the subject matter in, in other messages. Because, you know, people will have kind of a, a message that really gets in their heart. Maybe it's something that they've experienced in their life or they've, they've seen the effects of that message. And so it's almost like developing an accent. Uh, you hear that where they're from, no matter what it is they're saying, you know. And so you're going to hear elements of that here, but it's also kind of a, a seasonal thing. Now, here's what I want from you. And I, I want to make this kind of interactive in the sense that I, I need you to, to commit to provide this. Uh, I don't want to cause any kind of stumbling or offense that would be outside of what would be a righteous conviction. I mean, I don't want to, to say something that could cause someone to be offended in any way, shape, or form that couldn't be resolved as we get into this because people have different views and opinions and people have uh, different upbringings and cultural backgrounds. And I want to share a couple of things that are just thoughts that I have during this season. And I want to trust that the Holy Spirit can use those things to do something great no matter where we've come from or no matter where we're going. And I believe God's calling us to go somewhere together and he's moving us in a direction. Uh, I love this season, the weather change. And I'm a, I'm a farm boy. At, you know, I mean, I grew up in, in, around agriculture. and I mean, I grew up in the city. I mean, it was a city boy thing. But during the falls and during the, the summers, I would go and I would work the harvests. And, and I had some, some family roots in agriculture. So these times of year are really special to me. And, but I, I see something that comes around this time. And, it, and it's, you know, the, the world celebrates Halloween. And it's really disturbing to me. I mean, I, it got very disturbing to me once I had children. Now, so here's why I said I want your grace. We got people with kids in the sanctuary. You may have plans on the 31st to dress them up and take them out and to go trick-or-treating, all those things. I don't want to sit and preach an anti-Halloween message. What I want to do is I want to talk about some things that are in the Word of God for a reason and a purpose. Because I want to make sure that when we move in a direction, we move straight. And it's very important. So that's why I'm asking for the grace there. And I'll give you a couple of examples because I think that, that I had some, some influence in my life when I was younger that was meant to be helpful, but it really wasn't that helpful. And I'll give you an example here in a second. But when, when I had my sons, and I still have my sons, but when they were really young, we, we were, would drive to school. And when we would drive to school around this season, I had to reroute. I had to reroute because the normal route that we would take uh, had dead bodies hanging from trees and, and, and heads on sticks. And, yarn. and let me tell you something. I can almost guarantee you, and I shouldn't make guarantees that I can't back up, but I'm willing to make a pretty strong commitment that the people that do those things have never seen those things in real life. And if you've ever seen death like that before, you sure don't celebrate it, and you sure don't decorate with it. Now, I'm not bashing or condemning, but what I want to do is I want to get into the Word and see something because when I was young, I would ask my parents. It all sounded fun to me. Hey, kids dress up and they go get candy. I mean, it was just, why don't we do that? It sounds like a real party and a celebration. And, and I would even be jealous of the kids that did. 
And I remember my parents' answer, and it, I don't think it was a good answer. I think it was a lazy, you know, parents can give lazy answers, right? They can. I mean, I've got great, you've got, some of y'all know my parents. They're, they're great people. But I think this was a lazy answer. Uh, so, you know, why, why don't we celebrate Halloween? Well, we don't believe in ghosts. That was their answer. It didn't help me much. We don't believe in ghosts. And then now I grow up and I start reading in the scripture about the Holy Ghost and all these things. And I'm thinking, well, hang on a second. Because now, I, I mean, what am I supposed to do here? I, I'm torn, you know. But, but it was just kind of a lazy answer. And I want to look in the scripture and I, I want to be able to develop. This isn't just for kids, by the way. This is for all of us in the room. I want to know why those things that are being celebrated during this season really don't have any part with Christians. Why we really don't have anything to do with that. There's reasons for it. The things that we do celebrate, the things that God has done in our life that separate us from all of those things. Once we come to that understanding and that realization, I personally think that those things that are so celebrated right now just really aren't attractive to believers who understand what we've been delivered from and what God's brought into our lives. So I want to get into the scripture and I want to do it. So there's a bit of an agenda there, but it's not, it's not something that's meant to be a... a a bashing or a condemning message. It's something that's meant to be, hey, this was a, a challenge for me in my upbringing. It's currently a challenge for me raising my children. And I think we ought to look for this biblical solution. So this is really us being really open and honest and turning to the word of God for answers. And I hope that you can see it that way too. So here's a few things that we're going to find in the scripture. Uh, if you want to take notes, I encourage note taking. I like to give a few things that we look forward to just to kind of keep people interested, you know, so... So that if, you know, one and two don't sound very interesting, but three does, you know, you can stay awake to three, you know. But one thing we're going to find is what redemption looks like. What does redemption look like? Now, redemption is an interesting thing, and, and we'll, we'll talk about that when we get there. I'll, I'll go through the list here, and then we'll get going. But what does redemption look like? A second thing we're going to find is the result of salvation. The result of salvation. We're going to see in the scripture a few things and, and be able to connect some dots here. What salvation results in, the result of salvation. And then when we, when we get to this, the third point, we're going to find three things that are worth celebrating. Three things that are very much worth celebrating. Uh, celebrating that they're in your life, celebrating that God's made them available. These three things are really worth celebrating. And really, these three things, if you could decorate your yard with these three things, you should. So let's get right into the Word. I mean, we're going to find out what redemption looks like. I want to do that first and foremost. I want to jump right in. Now, Now, this is one that I told you you may have heard a little repetition because this, this passage of Scripture is a, is a personal favorite. Uh, and I'll give it to you here uh, so that we can get there together. If you have your Bibles... Uh, it's Luke chapter 1. And if you have your Bibles there to turn to it, it's really powerful to be able to see it with your own eyes. If you need to open up your Bible app and get there, Luke chapter 1. Now, Luke chapter 1 is a long chapter, and we're going to be looking at passages that are around verse 68. Now, I could give you a little bit of background here, and I don't want to go into too much detail, but the man that's speaking is about to prophesy, and he's John the Baptist's father, and it's a really big deal that he prophesies this word uh, because God has shut his mouth, which is a really wonderful and bizarre thing in the scripture, but it's there. I mean, 
the angel of the Lord comes and tells him about John and his son that's coming. And, and the, the man asks, what kind of proof do you have? And the angel's like, oh, you want proof? Okay, I can give you some proof. And so all of a sudden, this man who speaks for a living, I mean, imagine a pastor who can't talk. No, wait a second. Don't imagine that. <laughs> all of a sudden now, his mouth is shut and he can't speak. But then once God opens his mouth, I mean, it's a big deal and everyone's paying attention and everyone's watching. And these are the words that flow out of his mouth when he has his mouth reopened by the Lord. He begins to prophesy. And beginning in verse 68, he says, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption. Can you just say redemption? Yeah, yeah that's, that's a big word there. Like if I'm reading this for the first time in my Bible, I'm probably underlining that word because this is what God's accomplished for us. He's accomplished what? Redemption. He's accomplished redemption for his people and he's raised up a horn of salvation for us. As he spoke through the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began. So he's saying this has been God's plan from the start. From the time that he spoke with Adam, this has been the plan and God's bringing it to pass. And the, the prophecy continues as he begins to, to make this message known, this declaration known. He begins to reveal what God is accomplishing, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us. So that God could show mercy toward our fathers and remember the holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham our father. Uh, he goes on to say, if you go down to verses uh, 74 and 75, you get to the point of this. And I, I want to look at this point because I believe that this is what redemption looks like. That he would grant unto us or give to us deliverance from the hand of our enemies so that we might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. I mean, there's a really powerful thing that's being revealed here. Now, what, what's being prophesied here is the coming of the Messiah, Jesus, and all that would be accomplished through Jesus. And he begins by saying that God has accomplished redemption for us. I mean, I want to just talk about that word redemption for a second because it, it's important to me. I mean, I want you to ask yourself, you don't have to answer out loud, but what, what does redemption mean? And, you know, sometimes my brain goes to really deep places and, and spiritual places, and then sometimes it, it goes to, like, cartoons and things that are not deep at all. And when I think about redemption, it doesn't go to, to either. It goes to, like, the newspaper. You know, I mean, I remember as a kid, the newspaper would come, and, and the Sunday paper was the one you wanted because the Sunday paper had what in it? Comics. Oh, close. I set you up with that. No, no, no. Why would my mom want the Sunday paper? Yeah, coupons. You guys remember coupons? Would you ever clip coupons? I mean, I remember watching my mom sit. You know, I mean, times have changed, right? Because now it's like, let me pull up a coupon on my phone, you know. Yeah. But it, it, I remember the, 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 the newspaper would come, and it would be like, it would weigh six pounds. You'd drag in the Sunday paper. You'd be like, hey, the paper came. And you'd throw it down on the counter, you know, and the table buckles, and then... You know, mom gets out her scissors that you're not allowed to touch because they're her scissors, and she's sick and tired of her scissors disappearing, you know. And she gets out her big teacher-style scissors with the orange handles, you know, and she starts clipping the coupons out. When I think of redemption, I think of coupons. Because have you ever read a coupon? 
I mean, it, 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 it uses the word redeem, doesn't it? Redeem this for whatever, 50 cents off. Redeem this for a dollar off. And when you think about those coupons, there's something that's going on there. I mean, that money's not just free and floating out there. Basically, what the store is doing is saying, uh, we distributed this coupon, and if you'll bring it to us, we'll buy it back from you. That's what they're doing. I mean, they say 50 cents off, but what they're doing is they're saying, we'll give you 50 cents for that piece of paper. We want to buy that back. They're redeeming it. Now, redemption for us is being bought back. Bought back from sin and corruption. Being bought back from the slavery that results from sin and corruption. Being bought back from darkness. A price had to be paid, and that price is Jesus taking our place. So when redemption is being spoken of in the scripture, I mean, we can just think of coupons. I mean, those things that are being bought back and they're being bought back with a price. And the price that was required for you to be bought back was the highest price that could possibly be paid. Which testifies of two things. One, how much God loves you and values you. And two, how much you're actually worth. Redemption. So as he's speaking of redemption, it should get our attention. I mean, this is everything that has taken place on the cross and the empty tomb and the ascension and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. This is the whole thing here being described, redemption. And then what does redemption look like? I mean, as he speaks, he, he goes on to talk about freedom from our enemies, deliverance from those who hate us. And, and then down here when we get to verses 74 and 75, that he would give to us that being delivered from the hands of our enemies we might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of the days of our lives. When I read that passage, I come into this understanding that redemption from sin and redemption from all corruption and evil should result in a life that's free from fear. Now that to me is why any celebration of fear really has nothing to do with Christianity. And I personally don't think that Christians should really indulge in the celebration of fear. When the result of our redemption is the removal of fear and the purging of fear, I think we ought to not step foot back into that territory of fear and horror and terror. And then I look at this and I see the results of a life without fear. I mean, that if we serve him without fear, it positions us to serve in two ways, in holiness and in righteousness. That tells me that the thing that would bring compromise to holiness and to righteousness would be fear. If God's desire for us is to serve him in holiness and in righteousness, and in order for us to serve him in holiness and in righteousness, he needs to remove fear from our lives, then I want to see to it that I don't put any fear back in. I want to be careful what I watch. I want to be careful what I partake in. I want to be careful what I listen to. I want to be careful what I celebrate. I don't want there to be any room for fear. And so for me personally, and this is just personal, this isn't, you know, turn to the first book of Preston chapter 3. When this season comes around and my sons are seeing this celebration of fear, it's really easy for me to say, son, we don't celebrate that because that's what God set us free from. Fear and horror and terror. We celebrate other things. And you'll see this throughout the scripture, that really this liberation from fear is at the foundation of the gospel. I mean, dare I say even the point of the gospel. We'll find that in a couple of scriptures here, and it really stands out as something that God is doing in our lives. 
I mean, here's a passage of scripture for your notes. Psalm 64, verse 1. Psalm 64, verse 1. It talks about a a, a prayer or a, a lamentation, a crying out to God. And I want you to listen specifically to the words here. Hear my voice, O God. Hear my prayer. Preserve my life from the fear of the enemy. I think that's an interesting thing. I mean, most of my prayers would have just said, preserve me from my enemy. Just protect me from the guy that's looking to get me. Protect me from the one that's after me. Protect me from the one that wants to hurt me. Protect me from the one that wants to afflict me. But as we're being trained and taught in the word to pray and to offer up these, the psalmist is praying and he's offering up this prayer that it's not just protection from the enemy, but protect my life from fearing my enemy. He's asking God to do a work in his mind and in his heart. Because fear is a corrupting work. When fear enters into the heart and the mind, it begins to distort the way that we think and the way that we view and ultimately the way that we act. And we'll see that in the scripture here in a moment as we move forward. Uh, Here's a a passage of scripture that we've actually uh, sat on and and ministered on. Many of you, if you were around when Thomas brought a word uh, uh, months back called the storm, he spoke on this passage of scripture. It's a powerful verse. Uh, you should be able to go onto the internet and listen to it, but you can't because Thomas doesn't want his messages recorded and posted. But maybe if you go and give him a big hug after service, <laughs> maybe he will give you the notes. Listen, I, I've, I've, I've got some, an inside track there, and I've listened to that message again because it was personal, it was very personal. It's not public. And the more that you absorb that message the greater impact it has in your life it's powerful word and if those notes are available I want to encourage you to to find out if they're not then we'll just ask him to re-preach it because it's a really great word but Mark chapter 4 Mark chapter 4 verses 35 through 41 you see Jesus and his disciples uh, crossing the Sea of Galilee a storm comes up and you just see some things taking place there and we're going to touch on it just briefly because I want us to see that fear corrupts thinking It corrupts our attitudes. It it ultimately desires to corrupt our actions. It's the reason why I think that that we ought to not celebrate fear in any way, shape, or form. I don't think there's any innocent or pure way to celebrate fear because fear is a cancer to righteous thinking. So in Mark chapter 4, I'm just going to begin in verse 35. You see, on that day when evening came. Now you have to understand that Wonderful things had just taken place. I mean, all of the disciples were present for uh, this incredible, uh, you could just call it a church service if you wanted to. But masses gathered and people heard words of truth and they'd just seen wonderful and miraculous things. I mean, this is a really high point. They go from this wonderful high point, this celebration of all that God is doing and just this awareness of how incredible and wonderful the days are that they live in, that they're getting to witness things that their parents and grandparents hoped and prayed for and now they're seeing it come to pass. This is an ultimate high point. And then evening came. And when evening came, Jesus said, let's go over to the other side. Now I'm reading from the scripture again. And leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in a boat. They took him just as he was, and there were other boats with them. And then there arose a forced gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. 
Jesus himself was in the stern and he was asleep on the cushion. And when they woke, when, when they woke him, they said to him, Teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? Now, I mean, there's probably a few exclamation points that should be there, but I'm not sure when this was written if they used exclamation marks, you know. But this is a really urgent cry. Don't you care that we're dying? And he got up, Jesus got up, and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, hush and be still. And the wind died down and the sea became perfectly calm. Then he turned to those who were with him, the disciples, and he said, why are you afraid? Now, this is, a, to me, it's a dumb question, right? I mean, I'm serious. It's like, well, <laughs> why was I afraid? Because we were going to die. Because the wind was blowing so hard, the boat was tipping over. Because the rain was coming down faster than we could bail it out. And the waves were crashing over the side. That's why. You want me to draw you a picture? I mean, I could make it easier if you want. That's why. But we've got to understand that Jesus doesn't ask dumb questions. I mean, this is, this is not a question of him needing information. Of him coming to a point of, you know, not knowing what's going on, so if you could just inform me, it would bring me up to speed. He's not asking this question for his information. Whether he's asking it for us to examine ourselves, why am I afraid? Why is there room for fear in my life? Why is there space up here or in here for fear to come and distort my thinking and corrupt my actions? When he's asking, why are you afraid? He's not saying, you know, I missed something, guys. And if I would have, have seen it, I, I would have dealt with it earlier. So help me out. Help me help you. But he's saying, hey, why are you afraid? You need to think about this. Why are you afraid? Let your wheels turn. Why are you afraid? Why is there any space upstairs or, or in your heart? Why is there any space in your mind or in your heart for fear? He goes on to ask, how is it that you have no faith? And the word says, uh, then they became uh, more afraid than they were before the storm was calm, saying, who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now, fear is this corrupting thing that wants to distort a person's value or their worth. I mean, that that's, might sound like we just skipped a few things there. It was like, wait, where did he get that? But I want to turn to the scripture to see that. The ultimate goal of fear is to get us to compromise or have distorted thinking in who we are and what we're worth. I mean, Jesus addressed fear when he was speaking to people who were concerned about provisions and they were concerned about their, their, their uh, social existence. And he talks to them about things like flowers and birds. Basically, he's talking about creation and how God sustains it. Not only does he sustain it, but he, he makes it really excellent. He's speaking about those things, and if you want to see in the Scripture, you can see it in Matthew chapter 10. I would encourage you to write that down for your notes and just visit Matthew chapter 10. There's a lot of things in Matthew chapter 10 that can change your life forever. And as he's addressing fear to people in Matthew chapter 10, he starts talking about individual worth and value. You'll see it specifically in verses 29 to 31. He starts talking about birds. You know, when you see people who have room in their mind and room in their heart for fear to exist, and that fear wants to come in and corrupt their thinking, when you see individuals that have that space open for fear to enter in, Jesus responds to that by speaking to them about birds. 
He says, you know, hey, sparrows. Are not two of them sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But you, the very hairs on your head are numbered. So do not fear. Did you hear that part? That's the part. I mean, like if I'm underlining, circling, if I'm doing anything, that's what, so do not fear. So do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. Basically, Jesus is saying, don't be afraid because of your worth. Don't be afraid because of your worth. Forget about birds for a second and just consider the point. The point is your value and your worth in the eyes of your heavenly father. Your value and your worth in the eyes of God. Don't be afraid. Don't let there be room for fear. Don't let there be room for that corruption to enter into your mind or into your heart. I mean, I mentioned before that I felt like the, this, this purging of fear is at the foundation and the very point of the gospel, and, and I want to offer that. In fact, I'll give you a passage of scripture out of Hebrews that I think is really worth taking a look at. Hebrews chapter 2, I want to look specifically at verse 14. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. I'm going to cut into verse 14 just a little bit, about halfway down. And it begins to speak of Jesus, and it says, Through death, Jesus rendered powerless him who had, had as past tense, him who had the power of death, that is the devil, that he might deliver those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all of their lives. Jesus defeated the devil so that we could be free from the fear of death which led to slavery. That fear that led to the corruption in thinking that resulted in the corruption in action. The sin and the activity that results in death. It's the reason why he would defeat the devil. The reason why he would go to the cross. The reason why he would declare it is finished. The reason why he would come out of the tomb. The reason why he would ascend to heaven and present the blood. The reason why it would be found acceptable. The reason why he would appear and and speak to us all of the truths. The reason why he would send the Holy Spirit so that we could have that witness with us here and now. All of that is so that we could be free from that fear that results in corruption. I'll give you a passage of scripture. It's a personal favorite of mine because when I was young, I remember it put to song. I'd love to see this song revived, wink, wink. I'm serious. It's one of those. There's a, we, I worked in a, a church years back, and there was a, a, a young worship pastor there, a very zealous young man. And uh, I remember presenting a song to him, and, and it, it just didn't resonate with him. And then a very popular band redid it, and next thing I know, we did it once a week for like six months, you know. So I just don't think I'm cool enough to push for these songs to be revived. So you guys be praying for my coolness to rise, and then I'll push for a couple of songs here and see if we can't get them. But, but I want to get this out of the Psalms here. Psalm 27, verse 1. Psalm 27, verse 1. This is a a passage of scripture, and this is not meant to to juice the message at all. It's actually a fact. It's a truth. That when I'm in a situation where I feel anxiety or fear attempting to touch my heart or my mind, I will find myself singing this passage of scripture. 
And praise God, it's in me to sing it. But I heard it as a kid. I heard it as a young man in church, and it's now embedded in my mind. And I could be driving in my truck going from one job site to the next or, or going to the hospital to, to visit someone or do something, and this song will just begin to flow. It reads like this, Psalm 27, verse 1. I mentioned to you we're going to find the reason for salvation. That was the second thing we're going to find. I think you find it right here in Psalm 27, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Do you know how many problems are dissolved when that becomes a truth in our lives? It's amazing to me. I, I believe it to be foundational. I mean, you know, it would have been just as easy for the psalmist to have been inspired by the Holy Spirit to write, the Lord is my light and my salvation. My sins are forgiven. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. I'm going to heaven. And that would have even kind of rhymed. But instead he writes this, and I believe there's a reason why it's the absolute truth. The Lord is my light and my salvation, therefore who should I be afraid of? The Lord is the strength of my life. What should I possibly have to fear? What could come against this work that God has done in me that could possibly prevail? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? I'll give you another passage out of the Psalms. Psalm 46. I want to read verses 1 through 3. Because sometimes we think, well, he doesn't know what I'm going through. I think God pulls the rug out from under us here. There's no room for things to be worse. Well, he doesn't know what I'm going through. I'm going through some really hard times. And if he was going through what I was going through, he'd have a hard time praying that prayer. So I think this one is kind of God's trump card to any of that kind of attitude. Psalm 46, verses 1 through 3. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. You see that now? I mean, we won't fear. That's what you're getting. Now, here comes the rug slipping out from under our feet if we want to make excuses. Even if the earth should change and the mountains slip and fall into the heart of the sea and the waters roar and foam and the mountains quake. Yeah, it doesn't get much worse than that. He's basically saying if the earth were to crack in two and every high place were cast down into the ocean, and the ocean swallowed up every dry place. If a worst-case scenario came to pass tomorrow, this still holds true, because God is for me. He's my present help in every time of trouble. I will not be afraid. So let the mountains crumble. Let the seas roar. There's no room for fear in this mind or in this heart. I'll give you a passage of scripture here that I think we quote often ceremonially. Beautiful poetry, wonderful prophecy. This passage of scripture is so eloquently written <clears throat> that it has become accepted even by the world as, as poetry. But we need to reclaim it as the powerful truth that it is in our hearts as believers. It's from Psalm chapter 23. I want to read verses 4 through 6. Even though you hear how it starts with that? Even though. I mean, even though. It's basically saying it doesn't matter what's going on. Even though I even walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. 
and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table in the presence of my enemies. You've anointed my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow after me all of the days of my life and I will dwell in your house forever. It's a really powerful passage of scripture that even when facing death, I won't be afraid. When faced with my enemies, I won't be afraid. All because of this redeeming work. We can't allow room for fear to creep into our lives, in our hearts, and in our minds. Fear wants to corrupt. It wants to distort. It wants to disrupt everything that is stable in our thinking. We would look just like those disciples who one day saw the words, heard the words of truth and saw miracles, and by evening they thought that God had completely abandoned them. It's dysfunctional. If we make room for fear in our hearts or in our minds through the things that we watch, hear, celebrate, we open up the door for that kind of corruption to exist in every aspect of our thinking, including our relationship with God, and there's no room for that. One of my favorite elements of that 23rd Psalm is that the goodness and mercy of God will follow us. That's a very poetic translation. That word follow, I mean, we've probably talked about this before. That word follow to me is not the strongest interpretation or translation, excuse me, of that word. It means to pursue, to chase, or to hunt. What's being declared here is I don't have to be afraid because there's one who's pursuing me with goodness and kindness. There's one who is literally hunting me with goodness and loving kindness. And no matter what I deal with right here and now, no matter what's before me, no matter what's in front of me, I understand and I know completely that God's goodness and his compassion, his loving kindness are in pursuit of my life to be poured out and released on and in and through my existence. I mentioned we were going to find that we were going to receive three things or learn about three things or see three things in the scripture that are worth celebrating. I want to find those things in the scripture here as we move forward. You know, fear is this awful corrupting thing that wants to touch our hearts and our minds. There's no room for it to be celebrated when it's the very element that God has purged from our lives through the work of the cross and every aspect of Jesus and his ministry to us. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 and 7 say something very profound. I want to emphasize verse 7. But it's interesting to me that verse 6 reads like it does. Paul's writing to Timothy, and he writes to him, For this reason I remind you, kindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. He specifies laying on of my hands. That Paul made an impartation to Timothy's life that that is meant to have an effect on who he is, on how he sees things, how he perceives, how he interprets, and how he responds to the things that come against him in the world. He says, I'm reminding you to stir up that gift of God. We know the gift of God throughout the scripture to be the Holy Spirit. Stir up that gift of God which is in you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. I mean, I would stop right there and I would underline and understand that fear in my life is not from God. Fear of death is not from God. Fear of abandonment is not from God. Fear of rejection is not from God. Horror, terror, in any way, shape, or form, not from God. God did not give us a spirit of fear. 
rather. Now, these are the three things that I think are worth celebrating. He did not give us a spirit of fear, rather power, love, and soundness of mind. Don't you wish we could decorate our yards with that? Power, love, and soundness of mind. I want to give you just a few passages of Scripture as we close here, but I want to... I want to describe power, love, and soundness of mind, their presence in the scripture, and I want it to develop a, a hunger in us to close the door for fear, to come into an awareness and an understanding that those things that bring horror and terror into my life open the door for corrupted thinking, and I choose to shut that door because Jesus is purging fear from my life. It's the work of the cross. And I want to open up the doors for power, love, and soundness of mind to have an effect on who I am, how I behave, how I speak, how I respond, how I function. And I think if you want a description of power, I think one of the best descriptions you can find, concise descriptions, that is, in a single passage of Scripture, would come from the book of Acts chapter 10, verse 38. Acts chapter 10, verse 38. If you want to write it down, write it down. If you want to turn there, turn there. But you see, Jesus described. Jesus is being described in the description is this wonderful uh, uh, identification of power and what power accomplishes. And remember, God didn't give us fear, but he gives us power. And as Jesus is being described, the, the, the way it's written down is, now you know Jesus, don't you? And how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power. Can you say power? Yeah, it's important that we catch that. Power. And then it goes on to describe what that meant and what that looked like. That upon being anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power, that Jesus went about doing good, healing all of those who were afflicted by the devil. That's what you've got. That's what I've got. When we don't have a spirit of fear, but rather we receive what God has given us in the Holy Spirit, power, Love and soundness of mind. Power. No matter what situation may arise, no matter what circumstance, no matter what threat it brings, no matter what terror it carries, I understand that God has given me power. Power. And He's given me love. Now, I don't think you can find a better passage of Scripture to describe or identify the importance of the love of God in one concise single verse. Then 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. It speaks about God's love. And it identifies that there is no fear in love. <clears throat> so as God is purging my life from fear through the work of the cross and this redemptive work, as he's removing fear from my life, it makes perfect sense to me because he's invading it with his love, his love that has no fear in it. The more of God's love that exists in my heart and in my mind and in my life that is embraced and celebrated in my words and in my actions and the things I take in through my eyes and my ears, the more of his love that is present in my life, the less room for fear, period, because there's no fear in love. So it's my prayer, Father, fill my heart up with your love. It's pure it's perfect, it's uncorruptible, and there's no room for fear in it. 
And any element of fear that exists in my life is an element of my life that needs to be surrendered to your love, saturated with your love, invaded by your love. There's no fear in love, but then it goes on to say that perfect love or God's perfect love casts out all fear. It's not enough that God's love just not have any fear in it, but when God's love comes in the room, fear gets kicked out. It casts out all fear. God's not given us a spirit of fear, but he's given us power to set people free from the affliction of the devil. He's given us love, which leaves no room for fear to exist. And he's given us soundness of mind. You'll remember before when we read in Mark, when everything was fine and then evening came, and now we're all forgotten about, forsaken, and left for dead. It's unstable. To go from one extreme to another, it's riding this roller coaster of highs and lows and highs and lows and highs and lows. But as John the Baptist declared a way must be prepared for Jesus, he said, let every high place be brought down and every low place be filled up. What you have is consistency. No roller coaster with Jesus. Soundness of mind. I'll give you a couple of passages of scripture here, and there's a few here, because I think this is one that I want us to focus on as we close. <clears throat> James 1.8 talks about being double-minded. You can take it down for your notes. You can turn there if you like. You don't have to. It says that double-mindedness, that roller coaster mentality, that God's for me one day and he's forgotten me the next. Things are great one day and they're awful the next. That, that lack of stability, that lack of consistency that is Jesus, that roller coaster mentality, that double-mindedness positions us to be unstable all of the time. That's what it says. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. That was a shock to me the first time I read it because I thought he'd be okay half the time. But it should reveal to us how dangerous it is to be up and down and up and down and up and down. It positions us to be inconsistent. It positions us to be unstable all of the time. But God's solution by his grace is Jesus 1 Corinthians tells us in chapter 2, verse 16, that we have been given the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ. And Jesus talks about these things in the gospel. In John chapter 15, specifically in verse 15, he, he talks about the difference between slaves and sons, between not knowing what's going on and knowing what's going on. And as he closes out that passage in John 15, verse 15, he, he says that all things are being made known to us by him himself. And if you think, well, but he's in heaven now and he's not here to make all things known to me, he sent the Holy Spirit and said the Holy Spirit will disclose to us everything that Jesus would disclose to us. We have access to all of the information and all of the direction and all of the counsel, all of the wonderful truth that is the word of God. And that is the soundness of mind that can keep us steady in the midst of the storms. Keep us steady from going high and low and high and low. But there's a discipline that I've become aware of, a knowledge that, that I've seen and witnessed with my own actions and activities. I've understood now, as I look at the scripture, that all of this work to purge fear from my life can be undone by what I let in. I'm not talking about your salvation. I'm talking about mentality. 
I've sat and I've watched the things that have affected dreams. I've sat and I've exposed myself to the things that have introduced fear. And I've sat and I've, and I've realized now, this is not worth celebrating. This is everything that Jesus has paid the highest price to purge from my life, to introduce the awareness of power, to introduce the awareness of love, to introduce the awareness of soundness of mind and stability into my life. Why in the world would I want to step back into those worlds of darkness, anxiety, fear, horror, and terror for the sake of entertainment? I don't think it's a good idea. I don't think it's worth celebrating. And rather than come and stand and preach that this is bad and if you do it, you'll answer to Jesus, that's, that's not right. But what it is is, hey, look at what Jesus has done for us. Don't you think we ought to value that higher than what our world is producing? Don't you think we ought to be aware of this work, that he's purging fear from my life? Why would I ever want to put it back in? That he's removing terror and instability from my life. Why would I ever want to indulge that and call it a celebration? But what I want us to do today, my, my hope and my goal today as we get into the word together, as we receive together, is that we see the importance and the priority that God has placed on removing fear from our lives. And let the decisions and the choices that we make be made with that understood. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. I want to offer a prayer. We're going to take a, a moment to minister the word. And I want to trust and believe for some great things to take place. I'm not sure what individual convictions are as it concerns Halloween and, and the, the celebrations that are going on. But I do want to encourage you as you receive the word this morning to come into an awareness and an understanding of how important it is that we see God's removing fear from our lives. And just simply ask yourself this question, you know, is this pleasing to God? Does this cooperate with the work that he's doing in my life? If it does, knock yourself out. If it doesn't, adjust. I mean, God's leading us and he's guiding us. He's growing us and maturing us. And this is part of that process where we don't come and beat each other with the word, but whether we're led and we grow in the word together. We identify the things that are pleasing to God and we pursue those things together. And when we identify the things that are not pleasing to God, we, we ignore those things together. To not make room for there to be any setback or any uh, going back to that bondage that we've been set free from. And in a season that celebrates these things, I don't want to be the people who get it right and look down on everyone else who doesn't. I want to people who get it right and stand as a beacon of light and hope that others are drawn to. That when others are suffering from anxiety, fear, and terror, and they look at the people of God and see stability, they see power, they see love, they see soundness of mind, that they're drawn to us. And they receive the solution that they're looking for. But how can we offer them that solution if we look just like them? We've got to stand out. and We've got to look different. I've heard my share of messages concerning this season that were not effective, that were even offensive and stumbling blocks. And I hope that this doesn't go down in history as one of them. I hope we see that God is removing fear from our lives. 
And that this removal of fear has a purpose. That as his love invades our lives, there's no room for fear in its corrupting work to exist in our thinking or in our hearts. I want to pray over us this morning. And I want to believe and trust God that there's going to be a powerful work done where you need a powerful work done. Some of you may have heard the message this morning. It has nothing to do with the season or or the celebration of Halloween, but you're dealing with things that have you completely anxious. Maybe they're health issues or family issues or or financial issues. I, I don't know, but I know God knows, and he really deeply cares. And he's present right here and right now to minister to that fear and anxiety with the presence of his love that drives out and casts out all fear. There where you stand, you're welcome to be in agreement. You're welcome to simply be in a state of receiving. But I want to pray and ask God to let this word become a powerful and effective reality in our lives. Father, we bless your name and we thank you for your word. We thank you for the work that you would do on our behalf. That you would eliminate fear and anxiety from existing in our lives and corrupting our thinking and our attitudes and our actions, that you would, you would clean every aspect of our hearts and our minds with your perfect love, purging and driving out all of that that would corrupt. As we stand together united, let us be sensitive to the convictions that you would bring into our life. If our lifestyle is meant to change, to make way for your your freedom from fear to be uh, existent in our lives, then let us surrender and let us walk in those changes to receive the benefits and the, the, the truth that you've promised us. Power and love and soundness of mind, let it prevail. Where there's any anxiety from any outside influence or situation or circumstance, let your love invade our minds and our hearts right now. Remind us of our worth that you shed the blood of your son to redeem us. Let us see it at an individual level, that we wouldn't feel like we're lumped in with the group and therefore we made the cut, but let it be personal that you love each one of us so much you sent Jesus to the cross that we might live. And let our worth be affected, our understanding and our awareness be transformed, that we would come to that place of stable thinking and soundness of mind, knowing that what you've paid the highest price for, you will never leave or forsake. You will never fail. But in the midst of the storms that we deal with and that we face, you will calm the sea. You'll bring victory. You'll prevail. And let our lives testify just like the psalmist, that you are our light and our salvation. Whom should we fear? that you are the stronghold of our life, of what should we ever be afraid? Let these words become more than poetry in our lives, but let them become foundational truths in everything we think and in everything we do. We bless your name and we thank you for this liberation from fear. And in the mighty name of Jesus, we come with thanksgiving, asking that these words of truth be anchored in our hearts and in our minds as the foundation of our words and actions and attitudes. We bless you, we thank you, and we rejoice in the liberating result. We rejoice in you. And it's in Jesus' name that we give you thanks. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. 
We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at Change.